Start making your way into the sanctuary. Okay, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing number, uh, let's see, what is it, number four, How Great Is Our God. Number four in your books if you need it. Let's stand up and sing together. Ready? Here we go.
Christ is sufficient. Sounds like you know these songs. I'm so glad that you know. Let's learn this together. that Christ is sufficient. And part of Christ's sufficiency is what he did for us on the cross. Really, a lot of Christ's sufficiency is what he did for us on the cross. And he is sufficient for our salvation. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The song we're going to sing uh, for you this afternoon really follows well on the heels of that song that we just sang, talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, the resurrection is important for our faith, and it differentiates us And our faith from every other faith in the whole entire world. Because we today serve and worship a living Savior. And he's not in the grave, but he is risen just as he said. And so I hope we can all meditate on that truth that Christ has risen from the dead. When 
Christ arose, he turned the tide of human history. By dealing out a crushing blow to his archenemy, before his risen glory fiendish foes flee in dismay. Forever thrown into a state of helpless disarray, praise the one who lives, praise the one who lives again, praise the one who Christ arose, he offered living hope to Adam's race. By swallowing the sting of death and standing in our place, refusing to allow his Holy One to see decay, our God will make his own complete on resurrection day. Praise the one who Praise the one who lives again, praise the one who lives again to cancel our disgrace. When Christ arose, he pried apart the iron grip of sin and gave us strength to walk anew beneath his righteous reign. The silent empty tomb proclaims these words for all to hear. Your sinful self is crucified by resurrection power. Praise the one who lives, praise the one who lives again. Praise the one who lives again for breaking every chain. When Christ arose, he earned the right of universal praise. The high acclaim of his great name will ring through endless days. Alone he walked the path of death, alone the Lamb was slain. Together every tongue will sing the honor of his name. Praise the one who lives, praise the one who lives again. Praise the one who lives again, whose glory owns our gaze. Praise the one who lives, praise the one who lives again. Praise the one who lives again, whose glory
is on, and I think we should be, <clears throat> should be good. All right, it's my fault. So yeah, if you have a Bible, join me in Luke chapter 16. We're going to dive in for what the Lord has for us this afternoon. And I tell you, these days uh, just go by so quick. It's just power-packed every second. And, uh, but we trust that the word of the Lord will be an encouragement to you. Luke chapter 16, and I'm just going to read a few verses, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us during our time together. Then, If you're following in your notes, this is the second session. And uh, we're going to begin our reading in verse number 19. God inspired these words. And there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. I want to preach to you a message entitled, Hell, the Place of the Damned. Father, thank you for what you want to do this afternoon. And God, I pray that you would, Lord, in the midst of our fun and all the great things that we can be involved in today, Lord, would you remove all the distractions, the problems of life, the difficulties, maybe challenges we're facing back home. In the next few moments, would the Spirit of God sweep through this room? Father, I'm asking that man would retire to the background and you would bear your strong, holy arm and that you would take center stage. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would be sweeping through this place, grabbing young people in conviction and convincing them of their need of Christ. Father, I pray as I lift you up that you would draw all men to yourself. Lord, would you save those who are lost? And we ask you to do your work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, there's a story told of a fable out west of a cowboy who was coming back from town after picking up some supplies. As he came back into town, or back to his home, he bumped into somebody right out in front of his house, and he looked up, and it was the death angel. As he looked into the cold, steely eyes of death, he could see a questioned or confused look on the face of death. He didn't stop to exchange any words. He kind of just put his head down and went back into town. He found the wisest man living in that town, and he said, Sir, I have just seen death. Can you please tell me how I can escape death? The old sage thought for a moment, and he said, what you need to do is you need to get on your horse, you need to ride as far away as you can from this place, and thereby you can escape death. The cowboy thanked the old sage. He went back to his home, making sure he wasn't followed. He saddled up his horse, and he rode out of his hometown, and overnight he rode more miles than he's ever ridden in a night, and the very next morning, early in the morning, he pulled into a very distant neighboring town, and he could see the sun come up. And he congratulated himself as he watched the sun come up, come up. He congratulated himself on escaping death and yet securing another day. Just then he felt a tap on his shoulder. He turned and he looked, and it was the death angel. He said, it's time. The cowboy said, I don't understand this. How could you be here? The death angel said, it's time. He said, before you take me, there's one last thing I have to ask. All night long as I rode to this very distant neighboring town, the only thing I could think of and the only image I had racing through my mind the entire night was that question or confused look that you had on your face. 
Why did you have that question or confused look on your face when I saw you yesterday outside in front of my house? The death angel didn't even pause to think to answer. He swiftly replied, I was confused to see you outside of your home in your hometown yesterday because I was told to meet you here in this town this morning. You see, friend, every single one of you have an appointment with death. It's an appointment you're not going to be late for. It's an appointment you are going to keep. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews 9, 27, and then the judgment. You realize that there's one event that's going to happen to every person in this room, and in fact, God tells us about this event in Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. In other words, he had the nicest threads of the day, and he fared sumptuously every day. He had all the accoutrements of life. He had everything you could ever think about to buy. In verse 20, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. There was this rich man. He had everything money could afford. And there was, a, there was a poor man who was stricken with disease and would just eat the food and the crumbs that fell from this rich man's table. Two different extremes, the rich and the poor, the healthy and the diseased. But look at verse 21 or verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. There was one event that happened to the rich man that happened to this poor man. There was one event that happened to the healthy man that also happened to the diseased man. And that one event is that everybody in this room, you are going to die. It's an appointment that you won't be late for that you're going to keep. And it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you come from. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or non-athlete. It doesn't matter who you are, that one day you are going to face death. And you know what? This body is just an outer shell. Your inner man, your soul, the real you, that's going to live somewhere forever. And the question that, the most important question that you need to answer in all of life is simply this, where are you going to go when you die? Either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to an awful place called hell. You know what, friend? I wish I could tell you this morning that there was something called reincarnation, that after you die, you come back as something or someone else and try to redo the wrong things you've done in this life. But I can't tell you that that's not in the book. I wish I could tell you that there is some place called purgatory where you die and go somewhere, pay for your sin, get out and go to heaven. But I can't tell you that that's not true. I wish I could tell you as the seven day Adventists say that hell is consumed up and gone and they're just annihilationists. They just believe you just go into the ground and that's it. But I can't tell you that because that's not true. You are going to live somewhere forever, either in heaven or in hell. And hell is just as real as the pews that you're sitting on this afternoon. I want you to notice a few facts about hell, and I'm done. First of all, I want you to see, number one, the reality of a place called hell. The reality of a place called hell. You know what? There are some liberal scholars who try to tell you that Luke 16 is just an allegory. It's just a parable. It's just a made-up story. But gang, listen to me. Not one time did Jesus ever use a proper name in a parable. This is a real story of a man that died and went to heaven, and there is a real story of a man that died and he went to hell. And the Bible says in verse 23, and in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments. Number one, there is a real place called hell. Listen, gang, if there is no hell, then Jesus Christ himself was a liar. 
If there is no hell, then Jesus Christ himself was a liar. Gang, do you realize that for every time Jesus mentioned heaven, he mentioned hell ten times? If you look at the preaching of Jesus Christ, that he preached hell most often to the religious crowd who thought they were good enough by their own works to, in order to get to heaven. You realize that 12 times in the Bible that is sitting in your lap, out of 12 times in the New Testament, you read the words Gehenna. It was a valley on the other side of Jerusalem that was a constant burning in that valley. It was a garbage heap back in the Old Testament. It's where they used to have pagan sacrifice and they would offer their children to the god Moloch. They would pass them through the fire. They would, they would let their children be burned in child sacrifice and and it was just such an awful place. There was always a burning and a stench there. It was the closest thing Jesus had to compare to this place called hell. Out of 12 times, you read the words Gehenna in the New Testament, 11 of them were spoken by Jesus Christ. Out of the 19 times, you read the words hell fire, 12 of them came off the lips of the master preacher himself, Jesus Christ. Out of the 25 times, you read the words eternal punishment, eternal habitation, eternal destruction. Out of 25 times those words appear, 19 of them were spoken by Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, friend, if there is any, if there is ever a person who believed in hell, it was Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, he warned fools in danger of hellfire. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he warned people to fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. In Matthew 16, he referred to the gates of hell. In Matthew chapter 11, he looked at a wicked city. He said, and now Capernaum shall be brought down to hell. In a wicked, in wicked two twin wicked cities, Tyre and, Tyre and Sidon, that he looked at them and says, it's going to be more tolerable for you in the day of judgment, or more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and the day of judgment than it is for you. And if there's anybody who believed in hell, it was Jesus Christ. If there is no hell, then Jesus was a liar. If there is no hell, then the word of God is uh, really not accurate and never to be trusted. But friend, do you realize that there are 264 chapters in the New Testament this afternoon? Out of 264 chapters in the New Testament, 230 of them teach the doctrine of eternal punishment. If there is no hell, then Jesus was a liar, and he didn't know what he was talking about. If there is no hell, then the word of God is never to be believed. If there is no hell, then the cross was an absolute sham, and it was unnecessary. But my friend, could I tell you this morning that there is a place called hell? Jesus was not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's the Lord of all of heaven. And he was telling you the truth. The word of God can be believed. And over 230 chapters, he warns you about this place called hell. And the cross was absolutely necessary for us to have eternal life. I want you to see the reality of a place called hell. You might say, preacher, I don't believe that there is a place called hell. It doesn't matter what you say. I don't mean to be unkind this afternoon, but it doesn't matter what you believe. It's not going to stop the fact that hell will one day may claim your life. It was several years ago in 1980 that the U.S. Fire and Evacuation Service moved into the region of Mount St. Helens. The U.S. Fire and Evacuation Service was going door by door and issuing a public announcement that everybody in that region needed to evacuate. They said Mount St. Helens was going to erupt. It is recorded that spring that there was an 83-year-old alcohol-loving man by the name of Harry Truman who lived in that area. He shared no, no uh, family relationship to the president, Harry Truman. That just happened, he just happened to have a similar name. It is recorded that spring that he walked into a town meeting at his po local public school, and he says, you know what? 
That mountain has never exploded and it never will. He said, quote, you can't pull me out with a pack of mules. He said, quote, that mountain is a part of Harry and Harry is a part of that mountain. Three days later, nature took Harry Truman at his word. Mount St. Helens awoke at May, on May 18, 1988, 8.32 a.m. It erupted with such a violent fury, it sent ash plumes 15 miles high in the sky. It leveled enough timber to build over 160,000 homes, and it blew ash plumes in the sky uh, just miles high. And, 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 and you know what? They never found Harry Truman. You know why? Because his body was buried under, under hundreds of feet of ash. You know, this guy, Harry Truman, didn't believe Mount St. Helens was going to erupt, but it didn't stop the fact that it claimed his life. And my friend, you could be sitting here today saying, you know what, there is no God, there's, no such, there's not such a thing called hell, but that's not going to stop the fact that one day it's going to claim your life. I want you to see, number one, the reality of a place called hell. In this story, one of these men died, he went to hell, and he wrote back what it was like. I want you to see the reality of a place called hell, but number two, would you consider the residence of a place called hell? I want you to see the residence of a place called hell. You know what, before the internet, you know, and in fact, I just, we just bought a house and moved in, and you know what, not many days later, they dropped off a telephone book at the house. You know, we don't use really telephone books anymore, but really it's a directory of everybody who lives in town. You can look up in that phone book and look up and see really everybody who lives in my town, and my, there might be some enlisted numbers and some private numbers, but really it's a directory of everybody who lives there. You realize, gang, that there is a verse in the Bible that is what's called the telephone book listing of hell. It's like a directory that shows you who's going to be living there. Would you look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8? I think that's maybe even in your notes. But in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, the Bible says this, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part and the lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone and is the second death. Hey, have you ever lied? God's talking about you. You better listen. And really, we have a telephone book listing of who's going to be living in this place called hell. So in other words, if you can open up the floorboards tonight of this church and we were to drop down into hell, these are the types of people that you would be see living there. I want you to look at verse number eight. Notice it says this, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, the abominable, these would be people who did detestable acts. These would be people like Jeffrey Dahmer who practiced modern day cannibalism. These would be people like John Wayne Gacy who kidnapped 14 teenagers, tortured them, murdered them, and buried them in the crawl space of his house. These would be people like in the 1980s in Atlanta, the town I grew up in, like Wayne Williams, who abducted 26 children, killed them, dumped them in the Chattahoochee River. If we could go down into the depths of hell this afternoon, and we could go through the corridors of hell, yes, we would see the abominable, those who just did detestable acts, they're going to be there. And you might think, preacher, that's exactly who I think would be there. But look at verse 8, it says, but the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers. I just listed several of those. And murderers and whoremongers. It's about time teenagers learn the word whore is a Bible word. You know, what a whore, you know who a whoremonger is? It's somebody who lived for the sensual passions. It's someone who gave themselves up to moral impurity. 
You know, in other words, you know what Jesus is saying through the inspiration of scripture? He's saying that hell is full of people who lived for the one night stand. Hell is full of people who lived for the pornography. Hell is full of people who had private sin habits that nobody knew about, that they would be ashamed of people in public knew what they did in private. Hell would be full of people who were, who were hooked on different sexual addictions. Hell would be full of people who gave themselves over to a lustful, a passionate lifestyle. The Bible says marriage is honorable and all, Hebrews 13, 4, in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Hell be full of people who shacked it up and played it loose with their, with their marriage vows and just treated them as if they were nothing. Hell be full of people who lived for the sensual passion. Notice that the abominable will be there. The murderers will be there. The whoremongers will be there. But it says sorcerers. You say, preacher, is that talking about black magic? The Greek word is pharmakos. If that sounds, uh, that sounds familiar to you, we get our English word pharmacy from that word. You know what? You know sorcerers? You know what this is referring to? Somebody who used, who mixed and used drugs recreationally. In other words, hell, hell full, will be full of people who were hooked on the meth. Hell will be full of people who broke into houses in modern-day suburbia and raided the medicine cabin, and you took prescription drugs and painkillers, and you mixed them, and you used them recreationally. Hell will be full of people who lived to go to the Friday night bars and happy hour to drown themselves and their alcohol to escape reality and life for just a few hours, but the next morning, that hangover comes. Hell is going to be full of people who ran to the drugs and ran to the alcohol and ran to the pot and ran to the marijuana just to try to get a little bit of comfort in life. Hell will be full of people who used and mixed drugs recreationally. Notice it says the abominable will be there. And it says the murderers and sorcerers and idolaters and get this and all liars. That's pretty inclusive. Hey, have you ever told a lie? Like I said, God's talking about you. And you know what the point God's making in this text is that, you know what, you can do a million sins, but if you lie one time, that's enough on your record in order for you to go to hell. You know, so many people tell me all over the world, they, I ask them, hey, if you were to die right now, where would you go to heaven? Man, where would you go? They say, I'd go to heaven. I'm like, that's great. Why do you think you'd go to heaven? Because I'm a good person. And you know what the funny thing is? They're not even good at that. The very thing they're trusting in, they're not even good at that. They may go to church on Easter or on Sunday, and they live like the devil the other 363 days of the year. And they think, well, I'm a good person. And you know what? If you want to get into heaven by your own good works, guess what? You know what the bar of, of standard, the standard is? It is perfection. You've got to be perfect if you want to work your way into heaven. And you know what God is saying? One time lying is enough on your record to make you guilty. You'll never go to heaven and you'll be damned to this place called hell. One sin is enough. One time lying. God says your soul is sinned. And Ezekiel 18 forces the soul that sins it shall die. One time lying, your soul is sinned and you must die. One time cursing, your soul is sinned and you must die. One time stealing, your soul is sinned and you must die. One time taking God's name in vain and reducing it to a four-letter curse word to express anger, frustration, or disgust. That's enough. Your soul is sinned and you must die. 
Now, if you're saved, you're always saved. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Once God saves you, and you get saved by the grace of God, and through the, the Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and his cross work, you don't lose your salvation. You're always adopted into God's family. But if there's never been a point in time where you've ever trusted Christ as your Savior, one sin is enough to damn you to this awful place called hell. Notice it also says, and the unbelieving... And it says the fearful and the unbelieving. You know who the fearful are? Those are the people who sit in a service just like this one. And the invitation is given. And you know what they think? Man, I can't go back to get saved. What are my friends going to think about me? Hey, my youth group is here. What are they going to think about me? Hey, maybe I've got some youth sponsors here. What are they going to think about me? You know, the fearful. Man, if I get saved, what are my mom and dad going to think? Man, the fearful, don't let what somebody else thinks about you damn you to hell for eternity. I was preaching in a camp. On my left, there were two guys. They were lost. They needed to be saved. One guy raised their hand. Preacher, I'm lost. I need to be saved. During the invitation, he stood to his feet. His friend grabbed him, pulled him back down. He wouldn't talk to any of us after the service. And to my knowledge, to this day, that man had still never trusted Christ. And you know what the snare was for his soul? It was hell. The fear of man bringeth a snare, and that snare was hell for him. And it's true, your friends can laugh you into hell, but man, they can never laugh you out. Man, it hell be full of people who they wanted to get saved, but they were so afraid what people were going to think about them, the fearful. But it says the unbelieving. You realize there's one sin that God won't forgive, and that is rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. This man in Luke chapter 16, we don't really know anything about him. The Bible doesn't say he was immoral. The Bible doesn't say he was a wicked man. In fact, at the end of Luke 16, he tells Abraham, would you send, would you, would you, would you send me back or send someone back? I have five brothers that they need to hear about this place so they don't ever come to this place called hell. Now, he had some kind of heart of compassion for them. And so he could have been a moral man. He could have been a good man. But you know what? At least we know that he was unbelieving. And I want you to see that, the, number one, the reality of a place called hell is there is a hell, that there is a heaven to be gained, there is a hell to be shunned. And number two, the report from hell, or, or really the residents of hell, that you know what? One sin is enough to land you in this awful place called hell. And you know what, there are some kids maybe in this room, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, one sin, one time cursing, one time lying, one time stealing, one time coveting something that somebody else has, one time being bitter or angry, one time becoming jealous, one time becoming envious, that is enough to damn you for the rest of time in this awful place called hell. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. You might say, okay, preacher, all right, there is a hell, and all sinners go to hell, and even one sin is enough to make me a sinner. Okay, preacher, so what? So what's the big deal? And you may believe along with Freddie Mercury when he wrote, I'm on the highway to hell, or Bon Scott when he wrote, I'm on the highway to hell by ECDC, man, all my friends are going to be there, man, and he would stand on stage and scream, I'm on the highway to hell. You know what? Six months later, Bon Scott died. After he wrote that song, he went to hell, and it was very different than what he thought it would be like. And you might say, so what, preacher? So what if I'm a sinner? So what if I'm going to go to hell? Well, so this, I want you to see number three, the report from hell. This is one of the only passages of scripture we have of a man died, went to hell, and wrote back what it was like. Gang, do you realize in the text that we're about to read in Luke 16, if you die and you go to hell, you're going to be tormented by a few different things. Would you look back at Luke chapter 16? I want you to look, begin our, we're going to begin our reading in verse number 
verse number 23, and I want you to look for the word torment. I want you to listen to this. The Bible says that in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, there's the word, and send Abraham, I'm sorry, in verse 23, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented. There it is, number two, in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in thy lifetime receivest thy good tidings, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. There it is, a third time. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Gang, do you realize from verses 23 to 28, in a span of five verses, you read the word torment four times? Gang, don't you think when God repeats himself four times in five verses that he's trying to communicate an idea? And you know what God is saying? That hell is not a party place. It is a place of torment. What you may not understand, that the word torment, you saw in the English text four times, it is two different Greek words, each of them used twice. One of those terms for torment was a medical term, and it was used to describe the physical anguish and the pain that a patient would go through as you were severing a limb, like an arm or a leg. Back in the Old West, they didn't have anesthesia, and so when you had gangrene in your arm from a gunshot wound, they would have to amputate the arm. They would take a bullet, wrap it in a rag, put it in your mouth, and you would bite down on the bullet. That's where we get the phrase, to bite the bullet. That's where it came from. And all they could do is bite down on that bullet wrapped in that bandana just to try to somehow cope with the pain. It gives new meaning to wailing and gnashing of teeth, doesn't it? The other word, torment, that it was, a, it was not a, a medical term, it was a military term that was used to describe the pain that a prisoner of war would go through when he was being tortured in order to get information out of him. Gang, do you think it's an accident that God handpicked Two words like that to describe what hell's like. Hell's not a party place, it's a place of torment. And gang, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and there's never been a moment of your life where you said, God, I don't want my sin, God, I need you, and you depended on the mercy of God and trusted him for salvation through Jesus Christ, if you were to die right now, if a blood clot were to leave your leg and slam into your brain or your heart and you were to breathe your last, you would, you, were to, you would die and go to this place called hell, and you would wake up being tormented by four things. First of all, I want you to see that you'll be tormented, number one, by the flame. You'll be tormented by the flame. Look back at Luke chapter 16, and notice what he says in verse 23. He says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And verse 24, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. If you were to die without Christ, and you were to wake up in hell, number one, you would be tormented by the flame. I don't know why preachers have stopped preaching about fire and hell, but I believe there's some ground worth defending. Isaiah 66, 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For the worm dieth not, and, and the fire is not quenched, neither shall there be the fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring 
unto all flesh. In Matthew 3, 12, his faint is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. And he will gather his wheat into his garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In Matthew 13, 41 and 42, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that dreaded passage in Matthew 25, 41, and then shall he say in the, uh, also unto them of the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, and to everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In Mark 9, 44, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And in Revelation 14, 10, the Bible says, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the holy lamb. Gang, if you're an honest student of God's word, you can come under no other conclusion that there is real literal fire in hell. You see, you're going to have a body that's being, that will be able to live forever. Remember Moses in the burning bush? Remember how God talked to Moses through that burning bush and it was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed? Welcome to the body that you're going to have when you're burning in hell for eternity. You're going to have a physical body and you're going to be on fire, but it won't consume that body. All you're doing is going through the pain of being burned alive, but it's literally going to happen forever. I was part of a team that was ministering in Kansas. If you've ever been to Kansas, some of the road are just as straight as a gun barrel for miles. There were three teenagers that were, uh, that were in, a, in a front seat of a pickup truck, and they were all drunk. They were all high, probably from a lifestyle like that. They didn't know the Lord is their Savior. They're flying down this gun barrel road. They thought it'd be cool to turn off the lights, in which they did. They turned off the lights, and, and they're flying down 100 miles an hour down this uh, Kansas back road. And there was a young couple that came to a caution light. He looked both ways. It had a young couple and a baby in the back. He didn't see, the dad didn't see the truck coming because the lights were off. He tried to cross that two-lane highway. That truck seemingly came out of nowhere, slammed into the car broadside, killing the young couple and the baby instantly. The teenage driver was thrown from the vehicle. He had a broken back, punctured lung. They put him in critical condition, but this afternoon my story is not about him. The teenager sitting all the way on the, by the passenger door in the bench seat, he was thrown from the vehicle 30 feet. Again, he had, he had a, a punctured lung, a fractured skull. They put him in critical condition, but my story is not about him. It's about the young man sitting in the middle. When that truck hit that car broadside, it took the dash, pinned the boy's legs in. The paramedics were there within minutes. They broke out the jaws of life. They were peeling back the wreckage when they noticed that an open flame was consuming the vehicle. They dropped the jaws of life, they turned to run, and then the truck blew up with such a credible explosion that it hurled the paramedics to the ground. They picked themselves up, they ran about 30 feet, and they turned and they watched in horror. As they could see a truck totally engulfed in flames, and they could see a form of a teenage body inside. And they could hear him. Get me out of this place! It's on fire get me out of this place it's on fire get me out of this place it's on fire and the tragedy is not that the young man died in the flame that night the real tragedy is that if he never trusted christ he's still burning today and that's not even a tenth of what you're going to experience when you split hell wide open. 
You can go ahead and have your party. You can go ahead and live life how you want. You can reject Christ's offer of salvation, and you can spurn his mercy. But when you split hell wide open, you'll be tormented by the flame, and God will be totally just if you were to die and go there. But that's not only the thing that will happen. You'll be tormented, number one, by the flame. But number two, you'll be tormented by your memory. Look back at verse number 24, I believe it is, in Luke chapter 16. And, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and dip and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good tidings and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. You know what? This guy burning in hell and on fire for the rest of eternity, he had all the mental wherewithal and the mental acuity to remember things that happen in this life. You know what? I believe if you were to die and you were to split hell wide open and you'll be damned for eternity on fire, that you remember every time that someone knocked on your door to give you a gospel tract. You remember every time that a loving family member, a mom or dad or someone, put their arm around you and said, I'm concerned where you're going to spend eternity. You need to trust Christ, but yet you rejected. You're going to remember every time that you heard a gospel message from the Bible detailing how you never have to go to this place, how eternal life is available to you through Jesus Christ our Lord, but you rejected a message just like this one. And when you're burning for the rest of time, you're going to come to a jarring realization. Man, I had my chances, but I rejected. And it's going to haunt you for the rest of time. You'll be tormented by your memory. You'll be tormented by the flame. But number three, you'll be tormented by degree. You say, preacher, are you talking about degrees of heat? That may be included. You realize over 25 times in the Bible, God says that he will judge us according to our works. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 24, 12, and shall we not render every man according to his works? In Revelation 22 and verse 12, and behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me, to give every man according as his works shall be. Listen, God doesn't judge you by your works, whether you go to heaven or hell, that's decided with what you do with Jesus Christ. If you get saved and you make him the Lord of your life and you trust him for salvation, when he judges us according to our works, that you are being judged, that's going to determine how great heaven is or how many rewards you get in heaven or how bad hell is going to be listen for christians in this room are all christians rewarded evenly at the judgment seat of christ no way man there's five faithful crowns there's five crowns that god's going to give to faithful christians he's going to give crowns to those that went through endure suffering and trials he's going to give crowns for those who were soul winners he's going to give crowns for those the shepherd's crown for those who who guided the flock of god's people in leadership positions He's going to give crowns for those that waited and worked for his appearing and that worked for him. And there are different crowns, and each of us are going to be rewarded evenly. It's not like you get to heaven, and God's going to give out crowns, and some get, everyone gets an almond bar, or everyone gets a Hershey's bar, some with almonds, some without. Man, it doesn't work that way. But it's the same thing in hell. That, you know what? Every time you sin, you're going to make hell a worse place for you. There was a guy in Walkerusa, Indiana, and one of the churches we were preaching, and he said, Ron, we were so wicked, we wanted to go out every Friday night and raise hell by 10 feet. He said, we would go to the bars on Friday night, we'd already be smashed, already be drunk. Guys would, would, would park in the bar parking lots, open up the door, swing their legs out. We would run up, slam the door on their legs, breaking their legs. He said, preacher, that's what we did for fun. 
He said, listen to what he said. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was going to hell. I thought I might as well just live it up and get as much pleasure as I can before I go to hell. But he didn't understand what hell was like. You see, every time you sin, you make hell a worse place for you. I believe this afternoon that hell is a hotter place for that drug dealer, and he'll have way more severe punishment and suffering in hell than it is for the kid who tried marijuana one time. It, hell will be a hotter place for that person who lived for the wicked, sensual uh, pleasures than it is for the kid who had a moral failure just one time. I believe hell will be a hotter place for those who went in for sin on a grand scale with the world as their stage, and, and instead of just maybe the kid who maybe told the occasional lie or a kid maybe you cheated on a high school exam one time. You see, and what you're going to realize is when you die and get to hell, that you're going to be burning on fire and tormented by the flame. You're going to remember I had a chance to escape this place, and God made a way that I didn't have to come here, but I rejected it. And then you'll come to another jarring realization that hell is so bad because of my own choices, and you've made your bed, and now you're going to lie in it for the rest of eternity. You die and go to hell. You'll be tormented by the flame. You'll be tormented by your memory. You'll be tormented by degree. But look at verse 26. You'll be tormented by time. Look at verse 26. And besides all this, like if that wasn't enough, and besides all this, there is a great goal fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And you know what he's saying? Man, once you die and go to hell, you're not coming out. It is a place that is permanent. It is a place of eternity. Let me tell you, the, the 1960s song by the Eagles, the Hotel California, which mirrors a place called hell, they got it right in their song when they said, you can check out, but you can never leave. And if you die and go to hell, you need to realize that you'll be tormented by time. Hell is a place that's forever. Isaiah called it everlasting burnings. Jeremiah called it everlasting confusion. Daniel called it everlasting contempt. Jesus called it everlasting fire, everlasting punishment, and everlasting habitations. Paul called it everlasting destruction and everlasting chains. Jude or Nahum called it a place where there is no healing in thy bruise. And Revelation 14 calls it a place where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Gang, if there was one word that would ring through the corridors of hell, it would be the word forever. If there was one word that would be written over the gates of hell, it would be the word forever. And if you're in this room this afternoon and you reject Christ as your savior and die in that condition, hell will no longer be a four letter curse word. It's going to be your address for the rest of history and the rest of time. And maybe some of you are going there and you might say, you know what, preacher, what kind of a loving God would make a place like that? Well, he created for the devil and his angels. He didn't even really make it for you. But because you sinned and you chose to rebel against God, now you're in the crosshairs of God's judgment. And so you know what God did? He provided a way that you could be saved. He said, preacher, what kind of a, what kind of a loving God would send someone to a place called hell? That's a great question. But you know what a better question is? What kind of a loving God wouldn't provide a way out? And he did. Gang, I want you to listen to me right now. If you've listened to nothing that I've said this afternoon, I beg you to listen to me now because what I'm about to explain may make the difference of where you'll spend eternity. You know what this guy says at the end of this text? He said, I have five brethren. 
that he would testify unto them. And verse 31, and he said unto him, if they hear not Moses nor the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And you know what they were saying? Listen, you know what's more powerful than people appearing from the afterlife warning that there's judgment to come? It's the power of the word. And you know what Moses and the prophets constantly preached? They were looking forward that one day there was going to be a Messiah, and that Messiah would bear their sin, and that Messiah would provide a way that the wrath of God would be satisfied and judgment would be poured upon him, and he would pay the price for all of their sin. Guess what? We as New Testament believers, we, they look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross, that there is a Messiah. And I'm telling you, there is a way. Listen, not one kid in this room has to die and go to a place called hell. You can be delivered and you can be forgiven. Wouldn't it be great if there was a story in the Bible where a guy just said, hey man, what do I need to do to be saved? And then the preacher told him. Then you wouldn't have to be like, well, I hope I'm going to heaven or I think I'm going to heaven. Then you can know for sure. There is a story like that in the Bible in Acts chapter 16, that there was a man that worked in a jail. We don't even know his name, but the Bible says that he fell down in front of two preachers and the Bible says that he was trembling. That means God was all over him. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was on his way to hell, but he didn't know what to do about it. Maybe just like you. And notice what the preacher said in Acts 16, 31. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Notice two things about the word believe and I'm done. Notice he said, first of all, notice the object of the word believe. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible didn't say in this preacher? You know what he didn't say? Hey, believe on going to church. That's good enough to get you to heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, believe on giving money to humanitarian efforts and believe on giving money to the church. That's good enough to get you to heaven. You know what? God didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, believe on being baptized. You know what? He didn't say that. Hey, he didn't say believe on praying through the rosary or being confirmed. He didn't say that. He didn't say believe on just walking an aisle and filling out a card. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, believe on praying this prayer. Repeat after me and you're good. Listen, gang, a prayer never saved anyone. The blood of Jesus Christ saves you. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? The amount of your faith is not the issue. The object is. In other words, you can have great faith in your baptism and die lost and go to hell. You can have great faith in your good works and your church attendance and die lost and go to hell. Just like one Sunday school teacher in a meeting, he was probably 70 years old, came walking down the aisle and he would said, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. And that day he got gloriously saved by the grace of God. And he had just been living a lie and just a, a religious robot and going through the motions for 70 years. But that day God dealt with him and he found out what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what the fact is? Is that the amount of your faith is not the issue. You can have great faith that your dad was a pastor or a deacon. You can have great faith your mom sang in the choir or was a Sunday school teacher and I lost and go to hell. The amount of your faith is not the issue. The object is. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You say, well, preacher, how do I believe? Notice number one, the object of the word believe, that's the Lord Jesus. But notice the uh, number two, the operation, how do you believe? Let me tell you, the devil knew that Jesus was the son of God. He was an angel and used to live in heaven before he got kicked out. He knows who Jesus is. 
Does the devil know that Jesus Christ never sinned? He tempted him in Matthew 4 three times and was unsuccessful. Of course he does. Does the devil know that Jesus died on a cross? He probably thought he had won that day. Sure he knows that. Does the devil know that there is an empty tomb? I've been to Israel and I've checked. He's not in there. Jesus is risen again. Of course he knows that he's risen. So if the devil knows that Jesus was the son of God, lived the perfect life, died, buried, and rose again, does that mean the devil's going to heaven? No way, man. You see, the devil knows about Jesus, but he doesn't have a relationship with him. If you were to ask me, hey, are you married? And I, and I said, I think so. That'd be a weird answer, wouldn't it? You'd be like, dude, you should like, no, it's a yes or no question. Either you're married or you're not. Either you have a relationship with your wife or you don't. It's the same thing. Are you saved? Well, I don't know. That's weird, dude, because it's a yes or no question. Many of you, you know about Jesus, and you can answer and check all the boxes on a theological exam, but you know what? You don't know him personally and have a relationship with him. Listen, this man, Jesus, that was born 2,000 years ago in an obscure Middle Eastern village to a Jewish carpenter and his wife, I talked to him today. He is alive. And you can have a relationship with him. Not do you just know about him, do you know him? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever, that's anyone in the building, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call means to depend. It's not you praying the right prayer. It's not you living the right way. And I hope that's good enough to get to heaven. You know how to get to heaven? You depend upon what Jesus Christ has done for you. Could I just put it this way? I have a friend of mine. His dad was a preacher down in Miami. And his dad grew up in Miami back when it was a farming town. That was a long time ago. But this guy grew up in the water. I mean, in the Boy Scouts, they would be swimming in a lagoon. A saltwater croc would come in. The lifeguard would blow the whistle. All the kids would file out. They'd take a gun, shoot it. All the kids would file back in. I mean, that's just how they live life. They weren't afraid of anything in the water. And so now he's 80 years old, he goes back to Miami, and he's going out for a swim to have, you know, just for old time's sake. Well, there was a very strong current that day, there was a, there was a rip current, and uh, that's actually when I like to go boogie boarding when there's a rip current. And I'm a certified lifeguard, and we scuba dive, and we've done rescue certifications and all that, so I'm pretty comfortable in, in the water, but a rip current, uh, you know, the way you escape it is you go further out to sea, but go to the side of it, and eventually you'll get out of that current, you can make it back. Well, he, he was in a rip current, and he realized, dude, I'm not a 17-year-old, I'm an 80-year-old with a bad heart. His best effort was just keeping him even. When he stopped swimming, it would bring him further out to sea. He thought, you know what, this just might be my time. He was saved, he was a Christian, he had depended upon the Lord when he was a child, and he knew the Lord and spent a lifetime getting to know his God. He just thought, this is just my time. Well, he didn't realize, but there was a lifeguard that was on the beach that saw him struggling. The lifeguard dove out into the water, swam out to the water, and stopped about five feet away from him. And you do that as a lifeguard because you're afraid of the grip of death. The person that's drowning, they grab onto you, and then they drown you. And sometimes you have to push their head under the water, drown them, and then you can save them. And it's a very real thing, that, that grip of death. And so he popped up about five feet away, and he had a little British accent. He said, in a bit of trouble, man? He says, yeah, I'm drowning. Can you help me out? 
The guy said, listen, I can save you, but just go limp like a dead fish. Stop trying to swim, stop trying to kick, stop trying to save yourself, and let me come and save you. I'm trained for this, I know what I'm doing, you're not the first this season, and you probably won't be the last, listen, I can do this. Well, that 80-year-old guy, he had a choice to make. Either I could swim, kick, try to save myself, and that currently wasn't working out very well for him, or he could let the lifeguard save him. Well, this guy wasn't a moron. It wasn't working out great for him, his, his own effort, and so he went and lived just like a dead fish. He just flopped over, stopped swimming, stopped kicking, didn't do anything. The lifeguard swam over, put his arm around him, and with one arm swam sideways into the current, beating the rip current, and brought him back to the shore. And the story of this swimmer and the lifeguard, don't answer out loud, but who did all the saving? It wasn't the swimmer, it was the lifeguard. So in other words, if the lifeguard never showed up, that guy would have drowned. Gang, don't miss this. You are drowning in your sin. And you can swim, and you can kick, and you can try to save yourself, and you'll die lost and go to hell. But there is only one person that can save you, and that is the eternal lifeguard, Jesus Christ. And you're not the first he saved, and you won't be the last. And he knows what he's doing. And he could put his arm around you, and he could save you and bring you to heaven. But you got to stop trying to kick and swim and live a good life and save yourself. And you need to depend on the lifeguard's sufficiency to do all the saving. And here's the question Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever come to that point where you stop trying to swim, kick, and save yourself and let the Lord Jesus Christ do all of the saving? The question is right now, this afternoon, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? The only person that can save you from this place called hell. It was several years ago, there was a 29-year-old engineer named Gary who was vacationing in the Loveland Pass with his family. As they, as they were vacationing and camping, they could tell, Gary, because he was an engineer, could tell due to the amount of rainfall that was coming down and the narrowness of the canyon that there was going to be a flash flood. He looked at his wife. He said, honey, if I don't come back in 30 minutes, get the kids out of bed, get them dressed, get their shoes on, and get to the top of the loved one pass, there's going to be a flash flood. He walked out the door. His wife said, I have no last kiss to remember my husband by he went downstairs, he warned the innkeeper of the little inn that they were staying in, that he said there's going to be a flash flood, get your kids and your family out of bed and get to higher ground. Gary then proceeded to go throughout the Loveland Pass, door by door, knocking on the door, waking people up, warning them there's going to be a flash flood, you need to get your family and loved ones to higher ground. 30 minutes had passed and Gary had not returned. His wife did exactly as she had asked him to do. She got the kids out of bed, got their shoes and their coats on, and they started to make their way up that Loveland Pass. They made it to the top of the Loveland Pass. She turned and looked down and witnessed what we now know as the Big Thompson Flood of the 1970s. She saw a 19-foot wall of water sweep through the canyon and pick up a Greyhound bus and smash it down upon the little inn where they were staying. She wondered if the innkeeper had ever heeded the warning. Overall, 57 people lost their life in that Big Thompson Flood. There were 57 people who heard destruction was coming. They even knew how they could escape, but they did nothing and they lost their soul. 
My friend, don't you see it this afternoon? You, are, you have heard that death and hell are coming. And you have even heard how you can escape it and have eternal life in heaven forever. There's nothing better than that. But if you do nothing, that you'll lose your soul to a place called hell. And I'm asking you the question that Jesus asked the religious crowd of his day, how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? And the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ, the only one that could save you from this place called hell? Would you stand quietly as we pray? Father, thank you for the time that we've had. Lord, I pray you would do your perfect work. Father, would you, Lord, allow there to be a stillness in this room, in this moment, this afternoon. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and maybe nobody is, is, is looking around. I wonder if you're here and you say, you know what, preacher, if I were to die right now, I know where I'd go, and I'd go to a place called hell. I've done some wicked things. Man, I know I'm on my way to hell. Maybe you're here, and you would say, you know what, preacher, I'd like to go to heaven, but I'm not 100% sure. Maybe you made a decision when you were a kid, but you don't remember what you did. There's been no fruit in your life. You really don't have a relationship with Christ right now. I wonder, as I preached, maybe you've started to think about heaven and hell and eternity. Man, you got 80, 90, 100 years at best on this planet. We're talking about eternity, time that doesn't end. If a blood clot were to leave your leg and slam into your brain, your heart, where would you go? I wonder if you're here today and maybe you're thinking about heaven and hell and eternity and where you'll spend it. And maybe you say, preacher, if I were to die right now, I'm not sure where I would go. I'm concerned about that. Could I just pray for you? I'm not going to pray for you by name. I probably don't even know your name yet. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm just, or pray for you by name. I'm just going to include you in a prayer as I close. But I wonder, as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and nobody's looking, I wonder if you're here today, and you would say, you know what, preacher, if I were to die right now, God's dealing with me. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I'd like to go there, but I'm not 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. I'm concerned about where I'm going to spend eternity. Preacher, would you just include me in that closing prayer as you close? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and put it right back down? Preacher, would you pray for me? Praise God for you and for you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else just put it up? Preacher, would you just pray for me? I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. God's dealing with me. Would you pray for me? Praise God for you. You can put your hand down as well. Anyone else? Preacher, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Would you include me in that prayer? Would you just pray for me? Just put it up and put it right back down. Would you just do that this afternoon? Preacher, I didn't raise it, but I should have. Man, I'm concerned about this. Preacher, would you just pray for me? If you've raised it once, you need not raise it again. Anyone else? Just quickly, as I scan the room, just before I pray. Preacher, I didn't raise it, but I should have. Would you just include me in that prayer? Would you just put your hand up and put it right back down just where I could see it? Preacher, would you pray for me? I wonder if you're a Christian in this room. And maybe you say, Preacher, I know I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm not living like it. And as you preach, God's dealing with me. And maybe there's a sin I need to ask God to forgive me of. And maybe there's just a, a stronghold. The devil's built my life. I need to get back to him. Would you just pray for me? If that's you, would you just put your hand up and you could put it right back down as well? Praise God for you. Praise the Lord for you. In just a minute, well, I'm going to pray. Father, would you just help us 
and help my friends here today that aren't sure they're on their way to heaven. Father, I pray you would help them to get that matter settled. Lord, I pray for other Christians in this room that you would, Lord, send a strong conviction in their life. Lord, that they would seek to get back to serving and loving you. Father, would you do your work today? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I've prayed for you, my friend, but my prayer can't get you into heaven. That's a decision you make between you and the Lord. I'd be a delinquent preacher if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond. In just a minute, the piano is going to begin to play. And when I invite the piano to begin to play, if you raise your hand, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. What I want you to do, if you raise your hand, just open up your eyes and just head to the back. And we'll just slip off to a quiet place. And right there, you could get it settled and ask the Lord to save you. And you could get it settled. Maybe you got some questions. Let us take a Bible and show you for sure how you can know for sure through the scriptures that you're on your way to heaven by trusting Christ. If you raise your hand, I want you to go. No pressure put upon you, but I want you to go. Maybe you're a Christian. You say, you know what? I just need to pray and I just need to talk to the Lord and maybe a sin I need to give back to him. I'm going to invite you to go as well. But as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I'm going to invite the piano to begin to play. And as the piano is playing, if you raise your hand, preacher, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Right now, would you just open up your eyes and would you just head to the back? Would you just go right now? Would you just do that? Praise God for you. Just go. That's right. You just go. Come on. Would you just do that? Would you just slip back and go, preacher, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I need to get that settled right now. Would you just open up your eyes and head to the back? Would you just go? Would you just do that? Maybe you'd say, preacher, I know that I'm a Christian, but I just need to talk to the Lord. Would you just slip to the back right now? And would you just do that and talk to him just for a moment? I'm going to let the piano play just for a minute. But would you just slip back and would you just go? There's time for you, my friend. Hell is is hot and it's long. But God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to snatch you out of the flames of this place called hell. You can have it settled. Right now, would you just go? Preacher, I didn't go, but I should have. Right now, would you just open up your eyes and head to the back? And would you let him have his way? Father, thank you for the time that we've had. We pray you continue to work in, our, in this day, and thank you for Lord, the crowd that's here. Lord, again, we pray if any do not know you today that they would get that settled. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As you're standing just for a moment, if you're here today and you say, Preacher, I raised my hand, but I'm not sure how to